Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everybody, welcome back. We have a great show today. We are talking to Dr. Anna Bell, who is a lecturer at MIT, um, and she teaches the Intro to Computer Science course over there. Um, so, teaches a little bit of Python, a whole lot of computer fun science fundamentals, and uh, some algorithm problems and that sort of thing. Um, but she's also got a course. Uh, so she's got a book and a video series um, that she's selling through Manning. And uh, it kind of is for people that don't have any experience programming. And we've got some codes and we want to give that away. So follow us at TechJR Podcast uh, for details on how you can enter to win a chance to win those things. All right. Uh, that's enough shilling for me. On with the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Warwick Jr. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. I have with me as always Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie, uh, front end developer. And we have a special guest today. We have Anna Bell. So Anna, if you could introduce yourself. All right. Hi, everyone. So I'm Anna Bell. I'm currently a lecturer at MIT. I teach the intro computer science class there. Um, I started learning about computers when I was pretty young. I disassembled and built a computer with my dad when I was 12. Um, I did my undergrad in Vancouver, Canada at the University of British Columbia, and then my PhD in computational biology at Princeton. And that's where I gained a love for teaching and specifically introducing students to programming. So then I became a lecturer and now here I am. Awesome. Cool. So uh, re really glad to have you on the show because uh, Eddie and I are very interested in that topic. Um, obviously, we're a junior developer podcast. We love to uh, mentor and, and teach and learn how to do that better. So uh, really interested in some of the lessons that you've picked up along the way. So that being said, um, what's some of the things that you've learned in that breadth of experience about teaching code? Um, so, yeah, that's a big question. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think. What is most important to understand to people who have never programmed before is that programming is a skill, right? Um, you need to practice it on your own. Otherwise, you won't really be able to get it. So, you know, like when you were learning math or when you were learning to handwrite, right? You can't just, somebody can't just watch me handwrite and then just get it, all right? They need to practice it themselves. So programming is very much like that. You just need to practice it to get better at it. Um, I think another, I guess, um, thing that's not really intuitive is that programming is a little bit like math. It's like this different way of thinking and this different math that we don't use that much. Um, it's kind of the Boolean logic kind of math, right, that you may or may not have been introduced to, um, to just make decisions, right? Like you're always executing things line by line. Programs aren't smart. They don't know what you want to achieve in the end. They just do what they're told to do, right? So I think a lot of people maybe sometimes make the assumption that the programs kind of maybe know what you want them to do, but they don't. So um, basically, they will just do whatever you tell them to do. Um, I do uh, um, teach you know, the Intro Computer Science course, and I get a lot of students who have never programmed before. Um, in that setting, I guess, when they're taking a class, you know, that that's their job to do, um, they are kind of forced to, to do well to get the, you know, the C, the B, the A. 
But if, you know, if I'm trying to teach people who aren't taking a class, who are just kind of self-motivated, um, they, they need to have, I guess, certain traits or certain temp uh, temperaments to be successes um, if they're being self-taught. So, for example, I think being organized is probably a really good trait to have if you're trying to teach yourself programming. Um, of course, you know, then that means it, that includes things like documenting things, uh, you know, being careful and detail-oriented. That's another really good trait. Uh, being systematic and writing and testing and debugging, things like that. So I think without these really basic traits, uh, be, uh, the self-taught coding experience could be very frustrating. Um, and actually, even just if you start out thinking that you won't enjoy programming or that you might not be good at it, that's also really not giving a fair chance. So, you know, people aren't naturally good at programming. You have to put in the hard work to, to become good at it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um... So you, you think there's like a, uh, a certain type of person that has maybe like a procedural mindset that's more apt to take to programming or, or something like that? I think, yes, if you're, if you're trying to teach yourself programming, I think that would make things a lot easier for you. But I, I think anybody could, could pick it up. It's just uh, may take a little bit more time or more, with more frustration. Have you seen that in the course where you have somebody that comes in and they're just totally flustered? And uh, they have no, they're like, well, it, it should know what I mean or, or something like that. And then <laughs> maybe by the end of the course, they, they have a different mindset or have a big turnaround or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I've definitely had maybe in, you know, in five years of teaching, there's like maybe only one or two students who really didn't get it. Um, you know, even though I've explained it in different ways. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, in, in one of the first few lectures, I have this code where I assign two variables and then, you know, a line just adds the two variables together. And then I reassign one of the variables and I ask them if the, you know, the sum has changed. And the answer is no, because I didn't write a line that calculates the total again. Um, so that's kind of one of the very important things I want to get across right off the bat. In this course, um, what, what all do you cover? Like, I, I, it's an intro to computer science course, right? Yes. Okay. So I, I've taken one uh, at the University of Florida. Um, it was absolutely miserable. <laughs> <laughs> um, we learned uh, Java, but the teacher was, uh, or professor, he was very, he had a lot going on, I think. And so, um, I don't know, maybe he wasn't the best professor. And then we, we also touched on a lot of like computer science fundamentals, like binary and hexadecimal and stuff. So I took it for a year and by the end of it, using uh, or learning Java, like I couldn't even tell you what public static void main meant, <laughs> which is kind of miserable. <laughs> I look back on it now as a JavaScript developer, and I'm like, I even know that now. So what what happened then? But uh, so so how much do you cover in the MIT course? Yeah, so um, so we it's a six week course, and we use Python. Um, we basically go from just learning about variables. We do branching loops, functions, um, classes, and then there's uh, you know a couple uh, lectures at the end on co computational, or I guess just complexity and how do you figure out the uh, the complexity of a program. So big O notation, basically, um, and 
along the way, throughout each one of the lectures, we basically talk about some algorithm. So like whatever we're trying to teach them, we kind of frame it around some algorithm. So for example, when we learn branching, we kind of frame that around um, uh, bisection search. So like, you know, if, you know, if, uh, if you're searching, uh, if you're trying to guess a number between one and 20, you look at the halfway point and you ask, is it bigger or smaller than the one you're looking for? And then you can eliminate half your search space, search space that way. And so we kind of have the, you know, the conditionals example through that, uh, shown through that algorithm. Okay. So it's a lot of content in six weeks and, uh, it's, it's, it's very fast paced. If anyone is interested, by the way, in seeing the class as it was taught, I think in fall 16, MIT's open courseware has like the exact lectures as it, as they were taught online. So. Yeah, I was gonna ask That's that. Cool. Um, I think you can you can audit the course for free. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Um, yeah. I know there's uh, there's some other universities that do something similar, and uh, I, I've seen a couple of those, and I really like them. They were a lot better than my course at at uh, when I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> um. So whenever you're teaching a, a huge class like that, uh, how how do you how do you make that work? Because, uh, as a developer, like I, I kind of like watching a lecture is tough because you want to dig into the code and, and do your own stuff. So how, how do you keep the kids interested in that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it is tough. We have to automate a lot of stuff with regards to grading exams and grading problem sets. Um, so we actually eliminate a bunch of the students who would have taken the class through a placement exam. So if people already know how to program Python, um, they just test out of it and get credit for it. So then we're left with people who truly don't know how to program or those who maybe knew another language and didn't really have time to learn Python itself. And so those are the only people left in the, in the class. I tend to tailor the lectures towards people who don't have any programming experience um, because I want to. I want the the lectures themselves to help them succeed in the course and to give them kind of an interest going going into computer science if that's what they want to do. Um, so I try to have uh, uh, checkpoints, I guess, at various time frames for students. So, for example, within the lecture itself, I have these. Um, I don't know if you had clicker questions, but basically clicker questions using Google Forms, where it's. Um, Basically, whatever concept I covered in the past few few slides, I you know give them a clicker question, and then they see the pie chart change according to the you know whatever everyone in the class is answering at the time. So that's kind of forcing them to be in the moment and to try to understand like the examples that I've gone through. Um, and then at the lecture level, students are asked to go home and do like a ten minute short programming exercise and hand it in uh, online by the start of the next lecture. So that's kind of forcing them again to actually practice coding, right? Don't just like put it off for the weekly assignment or whatever. Like actually do the code and make sure that you're understanding how to code um, what we've what we've taught. And then at the weekly level, we have problem sets, which I think are the hardest ones because uh, the hardest things in the course because they are quite lengthy. So we give them like an English statement of a problem, and they have to do two things. They have to translate that English statement into um uh like some sort of pseudocode or like what did we learn that could be applicable here like should they use a dictionary should they use a list or should they use loops 
and then and then after that to actually write the syntax right and then test and then debug their code to make sure it runs so those are you know that's that's kind of that's asking a lot of and then you know that's at the weekly level and then at the overall course level we have exams uh yeah every couple of weeks or so interesting so it sounds like the course is primarily focused on getting people interested in code that kind of have no idea, right? Yes. So I imagine um, you've probably thought about uh, this this huge push for diversity in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of heat directed towards uh, universities and colleges about, oh, well, you know, the tech industry's diversity problem is we don't have people to hire. And so they like look at colleges and say, you're not producing enough STEM, you know, candidates and, uh, you know, underrepresented minorities and, and women and that sort of thing. So um, do you see any trends in your class or do you see like any wins coming through by having like a uh, a course where you're weeding out the people that already know how to program? I think, well, the course itself is 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 hard, as I said, but I think a lot of students find it very helpful to uh to go on to do whatever code, you know, coding interviews or, or get uh, you know, summer internships and things like that. We actually tend to have, just regarding the, the women aspect of it, um, a lot of, I, I'm not sure about the ratio, but I think it's pretty high of, of females to males. It's maybe 40% female. That's, uh, like that's that. really good. That's, yeah, yeah so. that's, that's pretty high these <clears throat> days. Um, it's a class of about 400 people. And oh, wow. we actually, I, th- I think part of the success is that we have, we tend to have a lot of women on staff. So, um, you know, at least half of the TAs we have are women who took the course or helped out in office hours with the course and just felt like they gained so much just by helping other people out in their, in terms of their own growth and, you know, understanding more things about computer science and, and, and programming, you know, like debugging, whatever hundreds of, of codes every week um, that, you know, they, they continue to be TAs for us. And I think when the students see that, you know, there's an intro computer science course that has so many women on staff, um, it, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a positive cycle that, you know, that, that gets created. Yeah, we've, uh, we've touched on that a little bit before. Um, like, you, you see somebody that's, you know, like you doing this thing, and you're like, man, I could do that. Yeah. Um, so like Eddie's Eddie has a, a daughter that saw Miles Morales as Spider-Man. Right. And so when I was a kid, Peter Parker was Spider-Man. And I was like, oh, man, he looks like me. I could be Spider-Man. This is awesome. Yeah. But for Eddie's child, you know, seeing a Hispanic person be Spider-Man was like amazing and very empowering. Nice. Um, so I, I have to imagine that it's the the same case with programming, like and I, I kind of see it on Twitter and the, the tech industry at large. Like when we have these people come up and they do presentations and give talks and stuff and, you know, they're, they're women and they're saying smart things and, you know, you're, you're learning from them. It's like doors start to open in people's minds about, you know, oh man, I could do this, you know, look at her doing it. I could do it. Yeah. So, um, I definitely agree with you about there being a, a positive feedback loop there. Um, and, and I really, I like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it it's good to to hear that the mentorship angle is is helping out. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, when I first started, there were not many females in the field. And you know, I've heard 
you know, women's conference, you know, just whatever, CS conferences, women's CS conferences that, you know, there were people who didn't have a really good experience being the only woman in CS. I was lucky enough to not have any of those uh, negative effects. Um, but I, you know, since when I was uh, an undergrad until now, I think there, the outreach, uh, the, the women outreach has taken really big steps forward, but we're not quite there yet, right? Um, there's lots of opportunities to get girls interested at a young age, and I think parents play a big part of it. And at least these days, they are more aware that girls can go into CS. Um, and yeah, getting better. Yeah, I was looking at uh, the state of JavaScript survey from 2018 today, and uh, there's a they have a demographic section to it. <clears throat> and if you look at it, it's like a, it's a bar graph and it's color coded for gender. So it's like red is male, blue is female, yellow is non-binary, non-binary and then gray is other. The whole thing is red. <laughs> it's got like one <laughs> sliver at the end that's blue. And it's like, you look at stuff like that and you go, gosh, we've got to be able to do better. Uh, yeah. th- this is, uh, it's, it's just yeah. crazy when you think about it. I feel like if you don't know, if you don't have somebody in your family who is in the field, at least a while ago, probably I think the misconception was that computer science is just about video games. Um, this was a while ago, I think. Um, I, I certainly had that impression. Um, and, you know, that the field is so much more than that. Like, you don't just need to make video games. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. So I think yeah, these misconceptions are slowly going away, but uh, do you think uh, do you think it would help if we had better uh, computer science programs in public school? Um, yeah, I think that would be that would that would be a good a good start. Um, I don't know how many public schools have that kind of program. I mean, I know there's usually like an AP computer science course at some high schools. But maybe high school is a little bit too late. Um, yeah, I know there's a, well, you're from MIT, right? So you, yes. you probably are very <laughs> cognizant of Scratch, right? I, I do know Scratch. I've worked with middle school girls who, um, who did Scratch uh, as their first programming. I did notice something um, when I saw that. So... Um, I think it's so it's hard to teach programming to kids, right? Because the the things that I said uh, earlier, if you're trying to self-teach programming, right? Being patient, being organized, being careful. Kids are not that, right? Um, (laughs) And Scratch certainly helps, right? To kind of get at programming from a different perspective. But what I noticed when they were making their programs is they spent a lot of time customizing it. Like they learned how to make a button right, with a picture on it or whatever, or when you clicked it, it popped up a picture. And they would just do that many times. And they would just have like different pictures of hats come up, stuff like that. So like once they learn something, they just kind of customize it and, you know, make different pictures come up. And they don't really invest more time into adding functionality to it, right, which is what we do as as programmers, right? Like once you get something working, you kind of improve it and make it do something else. Um, so that that's one thing I noticed about Scratch is because there's so much like 
I don't know, cutesy stuff available that you can do <laughs> with it. Um, it tends to take away from the fact that you can add functionality. That's the best way that I can put. Okay. Yeah, I wonder um, if that's not like if there's not a good way to kind of encourage that, but at the same time also kind of sell the kids on adding in the functionality. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, with my daughter, um, they it's not a program, but they do some kind of a like a game um development thing where it's just drag and drop kind of stuff and i tried she would make a level i'd play it um it'd be kind of short and then i try to get her to like think about other aspects of the game like uh maybe make this part harder or like think about how many uh enemies you have like on this one area and and you know outside of just trying to get the character from a to b and uh just giving them a little, giving her a, a little uh, more to think about as as she's building these things. Um, she kind of tries, but then it's just like I just want to make this look nice and yes. just kind of play it, <laughs> you, you know. Um, it, but then she ends up making like a thousand of them, and yeah. uh, they all kind of do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I know there's uh stuff like Neopets and stuff out there that's. Um, we talked to uh, another woman that. Uh, she kind of got her intro to coding through that. Um, and I think it was a lot of customizing and it was like CSS heavy kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that, but you would hope that like, you know, you could to get people into the, the more programming esque parts of it, you know? I mean, I, yeah, I feel like once I don't, if they like making things look, um, look nice, I feel like the, organizing of code would be very like as they grow older right like improving the code so that you have these functions right and just kind of making this class and <laughs> like this higher level thing could fit well with the customizing aspect and just kind of neatly organizing the code <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if uh because like at the boot camp level i, I worked as a, a ta and a tutor and I, I see code come in from students that's just like it's horrendous. You know, there's indentation <laughs> all over the place and like weird spacing and stuff like that. You're like, how can you read this? Because as a developer, like you kind of get an affinity for that. You're mm -hmm. Like, man, this code, I could make it read really nice. <laughs> and uh, I think students kind of don't care about, they're like, oh, nobody sees the code. They see the output. Right. So I, I don't know if it, if it, they make that connection or not. I was kind of curious. Um, you were talking about the, the content in your course. Um, that you get into classes because that seems like a very heavy thing to get into as like an intro course, um, talking about like object oriented principles. Mm -hmm. So, um, is that something to challenge the students or just kind of like, Hey, there's more out there or what, what's the reasoning behind that? It was intended, uh, to, to show students, I guess, everything that you could do with a language that's kind of transferable to another language which, you know, classes is a big part of, of any language. Um, and so this intro class is kind of a precursor to another class, computational thinking. It's the second half of the semester. And in that one, we actually um, look at a bunch of, I guess, computer science problems 
using things that we had learned in this intro class. So for example, we'll look at like optimization problems or fitting a, you know, a line to a, to a set of data points or a little machine learning. And to do all that, we need to frame the problem around a class usually. So it, it works and it, it's nice. And, um, and so, you know, classes just felt right to include in the intro course. And I guess the other thing is, you know, using the intro course, we feel like students are positioned to get a internship in the summer and classes should be a big part of that. Like if they were to look at any GitHub code, they likely have classes. So, you know, we kind of just want to prepare them for that, uh, that aspect as well. Okay. Uh, the other thing I have to ask is why Python, um, as opposed to like mm -hmm. JavaScript or I don't know, there, there's probably some other strong contenders in that space. Yeah. Uh, so, so what made you pick Python or was that already kind of in the program? Um, Python was already in that program, uh, in this, this, uh, this class. Um, but it just felt like, I mean, it's the same reason why I chose Python for, for my books. Um, it kind of abstracts away a lot of details that students don't really need to know in an intro class. Um, and it forces them to kind of look at the overall concept that we're trying to teach. So branching loops, functions, things like that, uh, you know, without worrying about declaring types. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I had done a little bit of CS50 which um, is, is from Harvard. And they kind of had the opposite approach in their uh, intro course where they start with like um, algorithmic thinking and like binary and big annotation, like right off the bat. And then their first assignments are in C. And so they'd start with like writing simple programs in C and then they jump straight into memory management and like pointers and stuff. And so from like where I'm sitting now, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I, maybe I would want to look into that and see what it's like, but as a beginner, like that seems very daunting. So <laughs> I have to imagine yeah. like, yeah, maybe the higher level languages would be better. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're right. That's what you're trying to. So I remember learning Java and C plus the Java was my first language and C plus plus in, uh, in undergrad. And there was so much setup code needed to be done before I could actually write the code that solved my problem, <laughs> right? Public static void, static void main string arcs. I remember that that's ingrained in my mind, but yeah, forever, <laughs> forever. But when I was starting out, I it just felt like something you wrote. It felt intimidating and you're doing something that you aren't really understanding yet. So I like Python because it does away with all that and you just start writing what you want to accomplish and you're, and you know, and you're done. Yeah, there's a, as a JavaScript person, um, Python is kind of a, a weird transition. Uh, it, it's cool because they're both higher level languages and they, they have like this loose typing. And, and so that's very familiar. Um, but like the double underscore stuff um, and I don't know, the, the snake casing and stuff like that, like really is kind of off putting at times. But uh, yeah. You feel the same way, Eddie? Yeah, yeah. No curly <laughs> brackets and stuff like that. It's, it all feels weird. Yeah, it's got... It, fe uh, yeah. it feels weird, but it's pretty. I don't yeah. know about that, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> I feel like um, 
like the curly braces are almost like training wheels or something. Like you, you kind of like you don't have the confidence to throw them away until you start riding without them. But uh, thanks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Eddie. Um, sure. Now the uh, the other thing with it is there, there's some like some interesting quirks about it, like um, the underscore underscore name stuff, and like when you run a uh, run like a Python module with uh, name equal to main or, or something like that, like it, it automatically runs a certain thing and there's like some weird quirks to it. So do you get into some of that stuff in the course or you try and stay away from that stuff? Um, we, we get into the underscore underscore stuff um, for the special, uh, I guess, custom functions because, um, because I feel like, it helps them understand some things that we had kind of just done at the beginning and it kind of ties together how everything in Python is an object and then everything kind of boils down to the same notation in the end. So we do it because that because I hope <laughs> then they they understand that it's not, you know, the plus operator between two integers isn't special. Behind the scenes, it's still just a fun like a method that's called on an object of a type integer. Um, so, yeah, so we do get into that, but we don't get into the main stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's a, it's interesting that you get into, like, such fine points of the language when you're still talking about, like, Boolean logic and branching and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess we don't talk about... Um, we don't do anything more Python specific, like, uh, what are they, uh, list comprehension, uh, comprehensions or, um, yeah, stuff like that, I think is, is again, too specific and they could write the same code using other, uh, structure. So we don't really show them how to do it. What, um, what kind of projects do the, the students do in the course? Like what's the homework like? Because I'll tell you, for me, it was like print or a triangle a bunch of different times using like for loops and then, okay, now print a triangle using recursion. And it, it was really boring stuff. So do you have like any fun assignments in the course? Um, we have, um, we have the first assignment is not super fun, but it does do the bisection search algorithm and gets them to really understand it. It's uh, how long will it take you to pay off the mortgage? <laughs> On a house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like a great intro. Um, and then they do like a hangman game. Uh, they do a document similarity uh, program where they use, uh, they, they figure out how similar two documents are. So kind of like a plagiarism detector. Um, and then they do a Caesar cipher program where they get okay. to, uh, you know, like encrypt and decrypt messages, which is kind of cool. And then the last assignment, there's five, is usually uh, something where they get to use another library or a package or some other class that somebody else wrote. So it was like an RSS feed filter one time. Um, now they get to like uh, uh, encode an image, um, stuff like that. Uh, and I think one time they had uh, to simulate like a robot cleaning a room. Thing. Huh. So the last one's interesting. <laughs> Do you, uh, so it sounds like you get into some, uh, virtual environment stuff and like package management. No, <laughs> no, that is, that's too much. Uh, they just import some library. That's, that's all they do. 
Oh, is it like uh, standard Python libraries? Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, okay. We usually just use NumPy and Matplotlib, and that's that's about it. maybe some other library for that RSS one, but or whatever they have that's special. But yeah, nothing more complicated than that. Okay, cool. So, um, also understand that uh, you have a book and a video course, right? Yes, that's kind of in the same direction. So, um, you you already do this full time. Like, what made you want to go the extra mile and like write a book? Um, I was actually approached by Manning to write the book and I had always thought about doing that. Um, so I, uh, just for context, the, uh, the course on campus is also offered as a MOOC. So a massive open online course through edX and, um, on there, anybody in the world can take it. And the only way to communicate with the staff is through the course forum. So I sometimes answer course form questions, and I guess Manning was on it someday. And they had sent me an email a while later say, uh, saying, I liked some of your answers from your forum. <laughs> they made sense. Uh, would you like to write a book for intro uh, programming? And so I, I, I had thought about it before because the course we teach the students is pretty accelerated. And I wanted to kind of slow it down for people who truly have never programmed before. Um, so. You know, that's how I started. Cool. So uh, what uh, is the scope of the book bigger than the course? Or is it just kind of like a, a more gradual intro? Or Yeah. So the scope of the book should is pre-course, uh, before, before the course. It should be a gradual intro to, uh, to programming itself. So I don't really look at algorithms that much. Um, I don't do it in, like inheritance with classes, things like that. It's just kind of really the basic programming concepts that could be applied to any language. So it's really a book and I you know I've been asked this question before and it's really a book for my mom who <laughs> okay. um you hear about programmers nowadays, you hear about computer science, you hear about data science and you know likely people know somebody who works with computers but you know they've never had a chance to learn themselves. So that's that's basically my mom and so I wanted to write a book for her who you know who could pick it up and just kind of read it and kind of do exercises as she goes along. Like we don't even get into programming until like lesson four or something like that. Before that, we just talk about like Booleans. Can you translate this question that says yes or no into something that's true, false? So it's really kind of very starting out very, very easy and just kind of like a conversation and then delving into, uh, into the programming aspect of it. Okay. So, um, does the book, it sounds like it starts before the course, but does it end at the same point as the course or does it go further or? I would say it ends at the same point as the course. Uh, the last thing that we do is using an external library, uh, in this case, Tkinter to build a game, uh, where you have like two shapes on the screen, kind of, you know, controlled by the keyboard to play tag with each other. So. Okay. And is that, um, is that again, like standard Python libraries or is that, uh, yes, again, standard Python. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, are the projects similar in the, in your book, um, to the stuff that you do in the, in the course, or is it kind of, because some of them like Caesar cipher and stuff, I could see being pretty frustrated by that. If I was a <laughs> beginner, like, oh, what is this a math problem? You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so, uh, what kind of stuff do you yeah. have in the book? So, um, yeah, so the book is uh, simpler stuff than the course. Um, 
It's just little small exercises to show them loops, to show them um, classes to illustrate. Like we have uh, stacks of pancakes. You create like pancake objects that are just like circles with a diameter, stuff like that. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as hard as the course, but I hope should be a good gentle introduction to anybody who just wants to learn programming and see what it's about without having to you know, be on their way to become an expert programmer. Okay. Is, are the um, are the accompanying videos kind of in the similar direction, or is that a little bit different from the book? Yeah, so the videos I uh, are basically the same as the book. Uh, I wanted to do the videos because there were a lot of places in the book where I was frustrated with having to explain things. So, for example, how does a function work? It is quite hard to explain it in text with like static images. Um, and so in, in the video, you know, I have the opportunity to like, you know, talk about things and have a nice animation that moves things along and takes like a value and puts it up, you know, there and then line by line, it executes the function. So, you know, the, the videos offered that opportunity. And as I'm writing code, I'm explaining what I'm doing, which is hard to do in the book, right? Because there's just text and then there's a chunk of code that you just have to read. Yeah, I've, I've definitely felt that frustration before with uh, <laughs> reading technical books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I got uh, maybe like halfway into eloquent JavaScript. And I was yeah. like, no more. <laughs> it's, just, it's not helping. <laughs> It's tough for a, for a beginner because, like you said, if you can't like see it in action, it's very hard to wrap your head around it. Yeah. Um. Do you, uh, by any chance, teach any other courses at MIT as far as like programming? Um. I am a little involved with the follow up course from the Intro Programming one, so that's called Computational Thinking and Data Science Using Python. And as I mentioned in that one, we use what they learned in the intro course to just kind of discuss general computer science problems. So some of the things we do is a little machine learning, obviously. Um, we fit, you know, fit lines to data. We talk about like stand, like the confidence intervals, uh, standard errors, things like that. Um, what else do we do? We uh, talk about graphs and uh, search algorithms for graphs, talk about the knapsack problem, and then we do a little Monte Carlo simulations to show that like, if you're given a problem, you can always you know, use code to simulate it you know, in this environment, and then you can run many, many trials and figure out an approximation to the correct answer. Cool. I, uh, I did not catch any of that that you said. <laughs> it was all over my head. Oh, um, no. Monte Carlo what? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a that's a car race, right? Yeah. Um, so, how do you uh, how do you teach machine learning to people that have just barely wrapped their minds around like basic programming concepts? In a very basic way, we do not go into much <laughs> much depth at all. Um, we just kind of introduce them to the different problems that you can have, uh, and the different, I guess algorithms that could be applied so we don't expect them to be able to like do it on their own but just you know so they have an, a general idea of of the kinds of problems that you could solve with with machine so do you give them like data sets or or at like at that point do you teach them like environments and pip and, and that kind of stuff to use nope still no environments tools? oh wow. nope still no. <laughs> they just uh they just read uh files 
with okay. with some data that we you know we've gathered from somewhere, and um, and then just you know create features, run that. And we use um, I think we use the SK Learn package. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, so, a little bit. Okay, excellent. So that's yeah, that's the package we use. Cool. Um, so like a lot of CSV files and that sort of thing. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, man, I had another question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must be tough to, uh, to teach, um, some of that stuff because machine learning obviously is like super in the direction of harder math. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of, it must be a real challenge to straddle that line between the two. So yeah, when you, when you mentioned stuff like that, I'm like, man. Yeah. That totally blew me away. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, the student, it's not the students' most favorite thing to learn, uh, the <laughs> statistics part of it. Uh, they expected it to be more of what we did in the, the first uh, part of the course, which is just learn how to program. And they're very surprised that now they have to learn like a little statistics. Like when we talk about, prob when we talk about Monte Carlo simulations, you're just using like, the random class to get a random number. And then based on that random number, you like automatically make the decision and just keep count of how many times you see an event and then count it all up and then, you know, get the average or whatever you're interested in finding. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's not the, the students' <laughs> favorite part of See, that makes um, sense to me. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> okay. So do you, do you teach them, um, like statistics or at least a little bit of statistics in parallel or is it kind of like here's the name of this thing and like you can go look it up and nerd up nerd out on it if you want to and then like here's the programming part that we need to focus on yeah they they do have to learn the statistics behind of it and that's i guess the difference between the first course and the second course is it's it's a lot more theoretical and we do ask them about some theoretical concepts so if it's if they didn't really do well in programming in the first course, they might do better in the second course because they might be better at picking up the the theory behind. I, I did want to ask about um, like programming in your downtime. Uh, so yeah. outside of MIT and outside of uh, teaching, um, like how do you stay up on Python or are you interested in that? Um, like, do you have side projects or what, what kind of programming do you do outside of the course? Good question. Um, I don't do much programming outside of the course because I have two kids who are very young, so they take up a lot of my time. I have I have a Raspberry Pi, which I've been meaning to That's tinker cool. around with. I just have not, you know, had the chance to do any meaningful stuff on it. Fair enough. Yeah. Do you see yourself uh, maybe revisiting some of that stuff when you get more time on your hands? Yes, that would be very nice. I've got some projects that I'd like to try um, that I that I want so that I want to um, uh, to do like on the Raspberry Pi related to the course. So like one thing I want to do is to streamline our test taking process to have um, to build like a little reader that looks at the students' card and reads the number on the card and then matches it to like the list of people we have in uh, our, our class roster. And then if, you know, when, when it's, when we're taking an exam in class, they just swipe their card. And then I know that they are in class taking the exam. So right now it's kind of like an honor system <laughs> kind of thing where uh, you're supposed to be in class taking the exam, 
it's online, but you know, who knows where it may be. <laughs> okay. Interesting. <laughs> so that's like one project that I want to do to, to improve the class a little bit. And I think it's pretty do. Do you find yourself doing a lot of that kind of thing? Or is that something that you kind of brainstorm and then maybe set, um, some of the undergrads or graduate students or something in that kind of direction to, to get involved with that sort of oh, thing. Yeah. That would be nice to make them do that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, it's something that I would, I would do myself and I really, really want to do it. It's on my, cool. yeah, it's on my to do. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I've always, uh, it's always interesting to talk to people that are in academia and kind of like compare and contrast from the, the types of stuff that we're doing like out here in the, in the workforce. Um, do you find that that's uh, a challenge for the, the curriculum and, and like for the students um, relating like what they may do in um, a programming job versus like what you're teaching them in school? Yeah, we are always uh, mindful of that. So, you know, when they're, when they do their homework assignments, we want to make it a problem that they might encounter somewhere else. Like, okay, the hangman game is fun. Um, but, um, for example, we had, you know, these, these other, in the second, uh, in the second, uh, half of the semester where we do the follow-up course, that's where we try to include problem sets that are pretty relevant. So, um, when we talk about graphs and search algorithms, we kind of, relate that to um to the urban planning department where you know if you have a bunch of buses that need to go from this place to this place how do you best route right so doing a problem set like that i think would prepare them for you know, like a real life situation that you may be asked to solve at a startup or you know a company in the future so we are trying you know, we do try to to have problem sets that that help them kind of understand the kinds of problems that they may do you ever have uh, any ambitious students that kind of approach you maybe once they've taken the first or second course? They're like, man, I really like this stuff. Um, what should I look at next? Or do you have like courses that you maybe would recommend or books or any projects that they would maybe take a crack at to try and improve their skills? Um, no one has, no, no, no student has asked me that right after the course. I think they just tend to find their own internships and, <laughs> and move on. Um, I mean, I do advise some master's students and you know, they, they enjoyed, uh, you know, learning about education. And so we look at some education data, uh, specifically re uh, related to the edX course and try to figure out how people learn online. Interesting. Is there uh does, does edX have like a data set available or something like that? They usually have, you know, some data available for the courses. Uh, that you can look at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. Was the MIT course your first introduction to Python or did you learn that through uh, your undergraduate or graduate work? I was introduced to Python in grad school. Um, so I did computational biology, which meant that I had to look at a lot of bio data sets and bio data sets are not great. They are pretty, um, uh, you know, unformatted, missing values, extra lines, like a bunch of other stuff like that. So when I first tried to use Java to to um, to read those files and save the data, it was a mess. 
<laughs> as I, I, I like I dreaded writing, <laughs> writing public static void main. And, uh, and then, so, you know, a colleague introduced me to Python and they're like, you can just, you know, with one line, you can just read your file and then save everything into a dictionary. And I thought that was really cool. So, you know, I used Python for pretty much everything uh, from there on. Were, uh, were you and Pandas like best friends immediately or? <laughs> I, yeah, I, we didn't have to do that, uh, complicated stuff. So I wasn't best friends with Pandas, but. Um, just like simple reading the file and saving stuff. And then, you know, we used like a, like a machine learning algorithm that you just had to count stuff. It was Bayes. So, um, it was just like counting the number of occurrences and dividing by the total. So, uh, did you like Python at first? It, it kind of sounded like uh, a big yes. 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 I liked Python a lot. <laughs> I, de I definitely feel your public static <laughs> void pain. Uh, yeah. that, that was, uh, brutal. Yeah, uh, that there's there's a certain level of imposter syndrome, I think, when you're learning to program. And uh, it's it's so much more amplified whenever literally every program you start, you don't know what it's doing because you're like <laughs> uh, public static void. I don't know what those <laughs> things mean, main. And then you start writing your code, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, with Python, it's like reading a story, right? With keywords that just make sense. <laughs> Yeah, it's so, it's yeah. uh infinitely more readable I think than than Java. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh Eddie, do you have any other Python or MIT questions for Anna? Uh I had a question about um well, I it, do you have any tips for anyone that wants to like uh start teaching or um like mentor or coach or anything like that? I think uh, well, uh, on the personal side, I think just having a lot of patience is very important. Okay. Um, on the uh, technical side, mm, I think, I I'm not sure how people learn, but I feel like pointing them to a online course uh, would be a good start, right? There's a lot of resources out there. Um, and they might find one that they enjoy. So that's, you know, that's probably something to start with. You can, if they really don't have any programming experience, they could read my book or watch my videos. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I think um, that's probably a good place to start. And then once they know some programming, uh, find out a field that they're interested in and, you know, help the, look up some packages related to that. Like, um, you know, like for like if they're a teacher, right, they could write their own programs to email students scores directly from a spreadsheet, right? Like that's something that would bring them benefit in, in their personal life. If somebody really likes investing in stocks or like, you know, or in like sports, they could write programs that grab data from a website and then manipulate it somehow. Uh, I don't know. Plot past scores or past prices, fit lines, save images of like time frames, stuff like that. Email stats. Um, or like if they're a student, they could write some code to streamline things at their school. Like if they know all the courses offered and the times they could write like a program that, um, schedules, uh, that, you know, creates schedules for other students based on certain criteria. Like maybe they only want classes in the mornings or they want to have Fridays free, or they want like all their classes to fit as tight together as possible. 
so I think if, you know, in knowing the, the things that they're interested in is also good because it'll motivate them to write a program more than if they're, you know, trying to write something that they have no interest in. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so at the end of every show, we, uh, we have a little segment called Nerd Minute where we just talk about like books or comics or video games or whatever. Um, so Anna, you're the, uh, you're the guest. Is there anything that you've been into lately? Okay. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I got this game for my four-year-old son. It's called Robot Turtles okay. from a company called Think Fun. And um, it's basically uh, a, a board game that teaches them programming. So one person is a robot turtle and the other person is the programmer. Uh, Interesting. The programmer gives a sequence of instructions to the robot turtle player, right? And the instructions are either move forward, turn left, or turn right. And the instructions are these cards that you, 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 you place in front of you. And so the person playing the robot now has to follow the instructions. Basically, like what, I, what the programmer said to do, you have to do those instructions. And the goal is to write an instruction set that reaches, you know, the, the end, like the jewel card or whatever on the game board. So, uh, so the board is made, the board is made up of a bunch of squares and you just have to make the instruction set, you know, go from where the turtle is to the jewel in the end. Um, so that's like their most basic, uh, play, a uh, gameplay. And, you know, my four-year-old son did it and he liked it. And then as, you know, as they understand things, they can uh, unlock other ways to play. Like you could put up wall cards. They have to go around them. You could put up like ice cards and have like laser cards that can melt so you have to like you know say i need you know i need to uh, put the laser card here after we've moved a certain number of steps to be right in front of the wall stuff like that so it's a cute game i think to give uh kids a good intro to following instructions first of all <laughs> and and also a good game to have them you know if they are the programmer to think ahead and come up with their own you know instruction set to solve the problem was this a Kickstarter? It was, yes. Okay. And then it became uh, like an actual out of Kickstarter and became an actual game. All right, cool. Yeah. Are you sold, Eddie? Uh, I'm looking at the website right now. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Cute. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, getting older, I, I kind of, I look at games and I'm like, nah, it looks lame. But then I play <laughs> them and I have fun anyway, even if it's like something really stupid. So uh, this sounds uh, right up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll have yeah, to, uh, it, when you inevitably sink in and buy this thing, you have to let me know how, how it works. Yeah, um, I'm going to look into this. I might buy this. Let's nice. Add to cart. That's Eddie right now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> how old is your daughter? Uh, well, I have a nine-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, she's going to be three right after Christmas. Uh, okay. But yeah. Uh yeah, my my nine year old seems to be showing some kind of interest in uh programming, so I need to. I've been looking for something to get her into. Cool. Uh, but yeah, cool. you should have her disassemble a computer. Um. Well, <laughs> I've like I've had an older gaming PC that I've taken apart a couple times, and usually when I do that, I'll pull her over and explain yes. like every single part of the computer just to tell her what it does. That was the part that hooked that hooked me into computers. So yeah. Okay. Cool. Fan of that. <laughs> have you uh, have you built a PC since then? 
Mm. I have not. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have to build a new one. Mine died. Yeah, it's 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 a bucket list thing for me personally. Yeah. I've uh I've done some like I'm not a hardware person, I don't think, but I've swapped out uh like video card and RAM and stuff like that, but I haven't done the full build. Um full people, build is fun. People attaching heat sinks like is something from my nightmares. So it, it's not <laughs> as hard as it seems, at least not anymore. Okay. Yeah. You just slap it on there, it like clips into the board. Don't you have to put like paste on there or like heat yeah. resistant glue yeah. or something like that? It's um now I'm blanking on the name, but yeah, it usually comes with it. Some of the heat sinks now have it like pre applied to the bottom. You just kind of slap it on the, the CPU and it'll clip into the motherboard. I heard a uh a horror story uh when I was a kid of um a friend that got a video card for Christmas and he opened up the package and uh you know everybody's in pajamas and stuff. Yeah. Well he touched the the video card and heard a loud pop. <laughs> and basically he he fried it with static electricity. Oh. Like immediately upon opening it. So Wow. <laughs> stuff stuff like that just terrifies me whenever you're buying like really expensive parts. Um <laughs> Yeah, not to digress. Uh Eddie, <laughs> is there anything that uh anything you're into lately? Not really. I've been watching more videos on Death Stranding just cuz uh, I don't think I'm going to play the game, but I'm obsessed with like how silly it is. Um, Crazy UPS future. Yeah. Uh, delivery sci-fi. Man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it seems a little crazy. Like I, I'm, I'll buy the game when it's like 20 bucks or something, but I'm not going to shell out 60 bucks for that. Plus I don't have the time, 60 hours on a game like that. Uh, I have other things to do. Um, but <laughs> the story is the thing I'm interested in, so I might watch the cutscene. Gotcha. I just want to see how it ends. Cool. Uh, as for me, um, I'll throw out that uh, I did start reading a book, like a physical book, recently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a big uh, Douglas Copeland fan. Um, he's written. Uh, I don't think he's like a super popular author. He's like kind of had some up and down uh, books, but um, started reading something that I got at the dollar store, uh, which is kind of a depressing thing in and of <laughs> itself. But um, because you wouldn't think like a dollar store having like literature, but it has like Paul Auster, Douglas Copeland, uh, some other um, famous authors uh that, that are showing up in like the parking pin <laughs> because they didn't sell enough copies at like barnes and noble and stuff but anyway or they're all closing uh, and they need to put those books in yeah there. or or that like yeah. nobody's buying books it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like the the deep depression that's sinking in whenever i see that stuff but uh but yeah i was like oh man this, i used to love this guy uh i read a whole bunch of his books um when i was in college and so i uh, saw this um book pop up called worst person ever I was like, I gotta buy this for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've been reading it. It's a uh, it's a pretty hot take on um, society and uh, just this this guy from England who is a uh, he's like a a cameraman and he's just like the most shallow, ridiculously awful person like you can imagine. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's uh, Doug um, Copeland writes a lot of. Uh, kind of critical satirical uh stories about society so he's he's written stuff on like 
uh, Generation X, uh, Bees Disappearing, like Life Without God, uh, I think was one of his books or something like that. So a lot of hot, hot takes, but they're usually pretty funny and lighthearted. So uh, it's been enjoyable so far. Cool. I'm reading a synopsis. This looks like a good book. It it's been it's been fun. It's not a kids book by any means. There's a, there's a lot of adult themes and swearing and that sort of thing in there. But uh, it's been pretty hilarious, uh, which is a hard thing to pull off in literature. Add to cart. <laughs> Sold. <No. laughs> uh, a favorite um, from from him also was uh, the Gum Thief, um, which is about uh, a retail worker that uh, basically is trying to like find a, I don't know, their, their purpose in life, like while they're working at Staples essentially. And, um, it kind of drills down into the minutia and like the boredom of having that kind of job. And, uh, I don't know, it, it was a very relatable thing for, you know, a student at the time and having worked a lot of jobs like that. So, uh, very uplifting kind of, kind of book. So I, I always have a fond memory of, of reading that. So I'm like a sucker whenever I come across the Douglas Copeland book after reading that. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I think that's, uh, that's good for, for this one. We can wrap it up. Um, Anna, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. We, uh, we had a great time talking to you. Yeah. Thanks yeah thank you for having me. Yep. Uh, real quick, were we, or you, you are a PhD, so should we call you Dr. Bell? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can, but I prefer Anna. Fair enough. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, it, w- it was a blast having you on, and hopefully we can have you back in the future. Yep. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Tech Junior. For show notes and past episodes, check out our website at techjr.dev. Uh, you can also subscribe to our newsletter to get latest episodes and some other goodies, and that is also on our website. Uh, We are going to be giving away some codes to Anna's uh, book and video series. So follow us at TechGR Podcast um, for a chance to win that. We are also not going to be doing any more episodes for the rest of the year. Um, (laughs) Eddie and I need a break. Uh, So pick back up with us in January. Um, I'm thinking the first week of January we're going to be back with an episode. Uh, We've got some in the can that we just need to do the audio processing on. But uh, that takes quite a bit of time, as well as quite a bit of time for the show notes. So, yeah, we want to enjoy the holiday. And I suspect that you do as well. So use this time to catch up on any episodes that you missed. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Um, you can also follow me as I'm doing a uh, Advent of Code challenge that I'm recording for uh, YouTube. So, um, yeah, I'll post that on the Twitter as well. All right. Uh, that's all I've got for this one. Um, see you all in the new year. And hope you have happy holidays and Merry Christmas and all that good stuff. Bye.